Question for you. To whom will you go for counsel this year? Who will walk with you? Uh, The Canadian federal election will happen in just a few weeks. And uh, I read the strategies of the different political parties with, with great interest. With all of the diversity in Canada and all of the competing interests, how do Justin Trudeau and Andrew Scheer and Jagmeet Singh and Elizabeth May and Maxime Bernier decide how they are going to run their election campaign? How do they read the Canadian electorate? How do they discover what is actually of interest to Canadians? To whom do they go for counsel? So, it is September, September 1st, and for many of us, this marks the beginning of a new season. Students and faculty will be going back to school. Uh, Some of you may be starting new jobs. What are the challenges before you as you look forward to the next season? And to whom will you go for counsel? Who will walk with you? We've been in this sermon series, Ethics in Room 21C. This is the ninth sermon, the last sermon in the series. So it's the ninth inning, as it were. And the overarching question of the series has been, how should we then live in room 21C, this room of the 21st century? And in the passage that we're going to read today, we see that Moses exemplifies for us the core of the way, the essence of the how. So we want to pay attention. We're going to ask some questions about the ancient path. We're going to look at the ancient path exemplified in Moses. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Stand by the roads and look. This is the Lord speaking. Stand by the roads. It could be translated, stand by the crossroads and look. And ask for the ancient paths. Ask for the ancient paths. Where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. We're going to look at the ancient path. Let's ask the Lord to guide us. Father, we thank you just for the joy of gathering as your people. We thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for sending your spirit to abide in us. And Jesus, you said that your spirit would counsel us and guide us into all truth. And so that's our request today, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, that we would understand it, and that we would know how to put it into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Today we stand at the crossroads and we ask, what's the context of this passage, Exodus chapter 33? Well, the people of Israel, they are in the deepest crisis since their departure from Egypt. Moses went up Mount Sinai. He received the law. God revealed his ways to Moses. Moses came down the mountain. He shared those words with the the people of Israel. And the people of Israel, they responded in unison. Exodus chapter 24, verse 3. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Responded with conviction. 
God called Moses then to return to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights to share with him more fully the nature of his relationship with the people, what that was to look like, and to give him instructions around the construction of the tabernacle. You see, God wants to make himself present among his people. That's an indescribable gift that God would want to be among his people. During Moses' absence and God's apparent silence, the people of Israel, they become impatient, and they build for themselves an idol. They have left Egypt, but Egypt still dwells within them. They go back to their old ways. They return to idolatry, and this generates a massive crisis. They push God away, and God's anger flares up against them, against this stiff-necked people. And on the mountain, Moses, when he learns of what has happened, he enters the gap and he intercedes for the people of Israel. And God, he relents from the disaster that he was to bring upon them. But there are dire consequences for their rebellion. So let's pick up the story in Exodus Exodus 33, verse 1. If you grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you, it's page 73. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. In verse 4 there, the word mourning, it refers to just abject grief, remorse. It's a word that's used for funerals most often. So they take off their festive dress. They put down the jewelry that they've carried from Egypt. Why? Is this such a disastrous word for the people of Israel? Think about it for a minute. Why is this reason for, for a funeral atmosphere? God renews his call on Mo- Moses, tells Moses that he should lead the people of Israel into the promised land. God promises to send an angel before the people of Israel. They will actually enter the land and the angel will drive out the inhabitants of the land. So they will get the land. Why the funeral atmosphere? What, what are you asking the Lord for in this new season? What would you be asking of God? Maybe you're a student, and so you're asking for good grades. Maybe you're asking for the condo or the home of your dreams. Maybe you're asking for a job promotion. Maybe you're asking that some disease be healed. Maybe you're asking that, uh, you know, in the ministry that you're leading here at Willingdon, that it would just grow, that it would flourish. What if God said to you, I will give you exactly what you're asking for, but I will not go with you? You want good grades? Here they are. You want that new home? Here. Disease healed? Healed. You will get exactly what you want, but I will not go with you. 
would we take off our party clothes? If you want to follow the ancient path, you must decide whether you want God or just what you want. You must decide whether you want God or just what you want. What will it mean for the people of Israel if God doesn't go with them? Well, if God doesn't go with them, they will most certainly fail the destiny that is before them. They will never become what God intended them to be. Yeah, they'll have the land, but they won't have life. This won't be just a setback. This is actually the end of the road for the people of Israel as God's people. They will go alone. So, you see, we can have all of the good things of life and be dead inside, be completely empty. A really good friend of mine from high school, he called me uh, at the beginning of this year, and uh, he was uh, exuberant. He said, Ray, I just came back to Jesus. I was shocked. Why was I shocked? Well, my friend, after high school, he went off to study economics, and he entered the world of business. And very early on in his 20s, whatever he knew of Christianity, he rejected that and he followed the way of Buddhism. He got into venture capital and investment banking and land development, oil and gas exploration in Canada and other parts of the world. He made a whack of money. He literally has all that this life can offer. He can buy it. So I asked him, why would you come back to Jesus now? And he said, Ray, I just could not do it on my own anymore. You see, we can have everything this life has to offer. And so often we come to God just asking for blessing after blessing. God, just give me a good grade. God, just help me get through this semester. God, if you would just heal my disease. God, if you would just give me a boyfriend. If you would just give me a girlfriend. If you would just solve this for me. God, if you would just give me a job promotion, then I would be okay. You see, we can receive all of these things and be dead. So do you want God or do you just want the things you want? If we're walking on our own, <laughs> if we enter this new season without God, we certainly will not be ready for the pressures we will face. Most certainly, you know, I don't need to be a prophet to say this, but you will face some kind of crisis in the coming year. And if you're walking on your own, you'll probably be like that shrub that Jeremiah describes in Jeremiah chapter 17, where he says that those that don't trust in the Lord, that just trust in themselves or trust in people, they're like shrubs in the desert just thirsting. And if you're in that place, then you respond from a place of desperation, of emotional distress. You're, in, you're facing pressure. You're in the crisis. God, where are you? You're angry at the people around you. You're disappointed in yourself. You're questioning yourself. Where is God? You won't be ready for the crisis, and you won't know how to respond. So is it worth going forward into the new season if the Lord is not going with you? Do we want God or just the things we want? 
What is the ancient path? What does it look like? I think Moses exemplifies it for us. Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. You see, Moses, he has this personal tent of meeting far off outside the camp. It is his hearing God room. That's the only purpose of the tent. Moses goes there to be with God, to hear from God, to receive his counsel. When Moses enters the tent, the scriptures say that God speaks to him face-to-face as he would to a friend. That face-to-face, that's an idiom for person-to-person, heart-to-heart, up close and personal. God speaks to him as a friend. Why? Let's look at some examples in Scripture, people that God called friends. James 2, 23. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Abraham was called a friend of God because he heard the word of the Lord, he believed it, and he obeyed it. Romans chapter 4. We read in Romans 4 that Abraham, he walked in the presence of God, he worshipped God, he gave glory to God, and as he did, he, his faith grew stronger and stronger. He came to believe that God could give life to the dead, that God could call into existence the things that did not exist. Listen to King David. It, Psalm 25, verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Another translation reads, the secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him. So David, he knew the friendship of God. He was a worshiper. He spent time in God's presence. You see that in the Psalms, his hunger for God, and he hears the word of the Lord, and he obeys Listen to Jesus, John 15, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Because Jesus has revealed to his disciples the counsel of the Father, he calls them friends. And then he says, if you do what I commanded you, and in the context, what he's saying is, love God with all that you are and love one another as I have loved you. If you do what I have commanded you, you will be my friends. So what did Abraham, Moses, David, Peter, John, what did they have in common? Well, they spent time with God, they heard the word of the Lord, and they obeyed it. If you want to follow the ancient path, you must desire to be God's friend more than anything else. You must desire to be God's friend more than anything else. So again, what do you and I want most? Do we want God, or do we just come for the blessings? Well, you might say, and many do, they say, 
Well, that was Abraham. That was Moses. That was David. That was Peter, John. That was their experience. experience. That could never be my experience with God. Never. Some read the scriptures through that lens. Okay. But the scriptures actually encourage us to follow their example, and the scriptures take it to a level even higher. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. By this we may know that we are in him, that is, in Jesus. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We are to walk through life as Jesus did. Jesus is our model. He lived in friendship with the Father. He received counsel from the Father. Everything he did was under the direction of the Father, and everything that he did was under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. John 5, 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Jesus is our model. We are to walk with God the way that Abraham and Moses did. We are to walk with Jesus the way that Peter and John did. We're to walk with the Father the way that Jesus did. Jesus is our model. You see, this is exactly when life gets exciting. If we're entering the new season on our, on our own, we may be filled with anxiety and uncertainty, but if we know that God is with us, that God is present to meet us along the way, each moment of the journey, come what may, that God will be with us, He won't leave us, and He's present to counsel us, then life gets exciting. And that's exactly what God has for us. That's what He wants for us. More than any gift, any blessing, He desires to give Himself. So, Where is your tent of meeting with God? And you may ask, well, Pastor Ray, uh, does that mean I'm supposed to go to the backyard, back corner of the yard, set up a tent? Well, you can do that if you want to. I have a little cave where I go. It's not actually a cave, but I call it a man cave. There's a, a chair and there's a window, and that's where I like to sit and read my Bible. And my wife, when she sees me there, I don't think about comfort a whole lot. So she'll come with a cushion and a blanket and a cup of coffee. She would transform my little cave into a a spa with, with a massage and some essential oils. You know, just make it comfortable. Well, it can be like that if that's what helps you connect with God. But the point is, where is your tent of meeting? The mother of John Wesley, she would pray in her bathroom. She had so many children, and the only way that she could find a quiet place was to go into the bathroom and close the door. Remember Christopher Yu and his mother Angela. She prayed for her son for years. Where did she pray? In the closet. That was her war room. So I think all of us have a bathroom or a closet. We're without excuse. We can set up our tent of meeting. The principle is to set aside time, a place to be with God. You know, we only need five things to spend time with God. One, most importantly, a desire. (laughs) The hunger to be with God. Secondly, a time. Third, a place. Fourth, 
A Bible. If you don't have one, go to the prayer center. We'll give one to you. A Bible. And I would encourage you to grab a notebook. Why? So that you can write down, so that you can record what you hear the Lord saying to you. Five things. A desire, a place, a time, a Bible, and a notebook. What does the conversation look like inside the tent? Well, I think that verses 12 through 23 actually open up a window for us. Moses, he says to the Lord, Hey, Lord, you have commanded me to lead this people, but you have not told me who will go with me. You say that you know my name, God, that I have found favor in your sight, but you haven't shown me your ways. And Lord, remember that this people is your people. Moses, he's wrestling with God. It's the beauty of it. Moses really wants God. He's in conversation with God about what he's living, what he's experiencing. And God doesn't reject him because he's wrestling, because he's asking God questions. God welcomes this. So as you enter this new season, I would encourage you to go before God and say, God, I can't do this semester alone. These relationships that are difficult in my life, I can't do it on my own. This new job, I can't do it on my own. This immigration process that I'm facing, I can't do it on my own. God welcomes the wrestle. And he says to Moses, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to care for you. I'll be with you. What does God not promise? God doesn't promise to show Moses absolutely everything that's going to happen in his life and the life of the people. He promises to be present. He promises to be with him. He promises to give Moses rest. But he doesn't promise to reveal absolutely everything that's going to happen. You see, sometimes, I don't know if any of you have a perfectionist tendency, just a little bit. I like to get things right. I have never enjoyed getting things wrong. So sometimes I just wish God would reveal everything to me so I'd know exactly what to do. But God, He is much more interested in my dependency on Him than in me getting everything right. He is much more interested in seeing me kneeling before him, worshiping him, expressing my dependence on him than me being in control and securing the outcomes, which is actually just a manifestation of my pride. Moses here, he continues to wrestle with God, and he says in verse 15, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. God, your presence, it's what what marks your people. It's, it's our identity. For Moses, God's angel leading them into the promised land would never be enough. If God didn't go with the people and the angel led them and yeah, they conquered the land, they had the land, it would never be enough. Why? Because Moses, he knew the wonder. He knew the beauty. He knew the joy. He knew the life of being close to God. He knew where the life was. And so the Lord promises to be present with Moses and his people. Now, 
Doesn't Jesus say some very similar things to us, his disciples? Think about it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound like the words that the Lord speaks to Moses? John chapter 10, verse 14. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. The Lord knew Moses' name. Jesus knows our names. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, John 10, 27. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promises to be present, just as the Lord promises to be present with Moses. You see, we are to experience what Moses experienced. Do not think, when you read the Scriptures, oh, that's Moses, that's Abraham, that's David, that's Peter, John, that could never be me. The scriptures invite us to experience what they experienced with God. Try this. Separate time for worship. Go to your bathroom, to your closet, your place of meeting with God. Worship God. Open the scriptures. Allow God to speak to you through his word. And when you have heard God's word to you through the scriptures, Write down a prayer. Take your notebook. Write down a prayer based on what you have heard from God. Pray that prayer. And then ask God some very specific questions about your life. Maybe it is a difficult relationship. God, I'm going to meet that person at 3 p.m. this afternoon. I don't know what to do. How would you counsel me? How should I approach that conversation? With what attitude? Lord, this child, I'm not sure how to parent this child. Help me. How would you counsel me? I try to use the same tactics that I use with my other children, but it just doesn't work. What do I do? I was talking to one of our members earlier this week, and he's facing the possibility of a terminal illness, and he said this, Pastor Ray, it's amazing. When I ask the Lord why I am filled with anxiety, or why I have fear. When I ask that specific question, the Lord answers me. He reveals it to me. What's behind my fear, my anxiety? You see, the Lord is actually present to provide counsel. If you want to follow the ancient path, know that God invites you into conversation with him about the way before you. Know that God invites you into conversation with him about the way before you. God doesn't want you to go alone. Then Moses makes this bold request. Lord, show me your glory. What's he asking for? He's asking the Lord to put his promise in writing, as it were. Lord, you were present when I led the people out of Egypt. Oh, there was a cloud and fire and thunder and lightning. Lord, show me again that you're with me. He wants to be assured that God will be with him as he leads the people to the promised land, just as God was with him when he led the people out of Egypt. And the Lord says this, uh, Exodus 33, verse 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face 
for man shall not see me and live. Sometimes we just ask for more than we can handle. Moses can't see God's face and live. But notice that God doesn't judge Moses for making the request. And it's through Moses' intercession for the people that God makes himself present among the people again, that the relationship with the people is renewed. Do we believe that our prayers change things? Max Lucado has written, Our prayers may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it, and not in the one who says it, our prayers do do make a difference. So Moses isn't going to see God's face, but he will receive a visible demonstration of God's presence, and God will unveil his character to Moses. Moses will not get what he's asking for, but exactly what he needs for the journey. So Moses, he follows God's instructions. He cuts two new tablets, stone tablets, like the ones that he broke. Early in the morning, he gets up, he rises, hikes up Mount Sinai because God has promised to meet him there. And what is God doing in all of this? Well, God is reaching out to the people of Israel in grace and forgiveness. He will not give them what they actually deserve. No, he will renew his relationship with them. It reminds me of an experience I had when I was a teenager. I've told you before that when I was a teenager, I was actually quite rebellious. When I was 17, I left home. I rejected family. I rejected faith. I was going to do it on my own. A year later, I was 18. I was broken. And I came home. And I remember coming home and sitting at the table with my parents Just the three of us, a lot of tears were shed, but there was absolutely no question as to whether I was a son or not. There was absolutely no question whether my parents would forgive me or not. They were eager to forgive. My room was waiting for me. And in that, my parents exemplified the heart of our Heavenly Father. God here, He descends in a cloud before Moses and proclaims His name. He is eager to restore His relationship with the people of Israel. He's eager to reveal who He is. Look at this, Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This revelation of God's character, it just becomes a central confession for God's people. It's repeated in the prayers of the poets. It's repeated in the words of the prophets. It's repeated in the words of the leaders of Israel. If you want to memorize some verses as you enter the new season, memorize these two verses. They describe God's character, who he is. God announces his name two two times, the Lord, the Lord. That means Yahweh. He's the God present to save, the God present to act 
on behalf of his people. Then he says, I am merciful. Another translation would be compassionate. God is tender toward his people. Merciful, gracious. He doesn't give what we deserve. He goes far beyond anything we could expect. He even grants favor to us. He's reluctant to grow angry. God's patience is tremendous. The word says abounding in steadfast love. Not just a little bit, abounding. God is loyal. He's reliable. He can be trusted. He is abounding in faithfulness. And he extends steadfast love to thousands of generations. God's nature is to forgive, to extend grace, to forgive every form of evil and sin, not reluctantly, not begrudgingly, but eagerly. But he does discipline, as the word says, the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. So how do we understand that word? It's a sobering word because the sins of the fathers do impact the children and the grandchildren. That's one of the sobering aspects of sin, that our sin actually impacts, hurts others. That general principle, however, it needs to be qualified in a number of ways. First of all, it applies to the stiff-necked, to the stubborn, to the rebellious, to those who refuse to become friends of God. Second, the cycle of sin and suffering, it can be broken in every generation. We need only confess, repent, and change our ways. Third, notice the contrast between God's grace and his punishment, God's love and his discipline. This, <coughs> sorry, this is the greatest numerical contrast in all of Scripture. His steadfast love he extends to thousands of generations, and he punishes to the third and fourth. <coughs> that reveals God's nature, his character. He is loving. He must punish sin. He is just. But his nature, his desire is to forgive, to love, to have his people experience his presence, his faithfulness. How does Moses respond? Well, he responds to this revelation with worship, with praise. He bows down. He repents. And then he prays a prayer based on what God has just revealed. He says, God, we're stiff-necked. We're rebellious. We're stubborn. Because of who we are, that's exactly why you must go with us. God, forgive us. Go with us. Take us as your people. Because of who you are, you're compassionate and you are gracious. So Moses is boldly asking for something based on God's character. If you want to follow the ancient path, know that God is waiting to reveal himself to you. It will change your prayers. Know that God is waiting to reveal himself to you. It will change the way you pray. You won't pray based on your ideas, based on your emotions, based on your own character. You will pray based on who God is. It'll change your prayers. So, as followers of Jesus today... Should we be jealous of Moses? Moses had this wonderful experience with God. Should we be jealous of him? 
Well, we have the revelation of God given to Moses, and we have an even more complete revelation of God's character, of his love in Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18, No one has ever seen God. And then some words that describe Jesus. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus revealed the Father's love for us. 2,000 years ago, when he came and lived among us, identified with us, when he was obedient to the cross, he revealed the Father's love for us. He went to the cross and took upon himself our sin. He paid the price that we could never pay. He made it possible for us to be reconciled with God our Father. He opened the way into the Father's presence so that we might receive forgiveness for our sin as we look to Jesus in faith and receive him as our Savior, as our Lord. And the Father and the Son, they promise, and they do this, they send the Spirit to abide in those who surrender their lives to Jesus. The Spirit abides in us, and he will never leave us. So to whom will we look for counsel this year? Who will walk with us? The Lord says in Jeremiah 6.16, Stand by the roads. Stand at the crossroads. And look. And ask for the ancient paths. Where the good way is. And, and walk in it. And find rest for your souls. My wife, Judy, she was uh, diagnosed with cancer 17 years ago, and then again two years later, and she was wrestling with God, wrestling with uh, her circumstance, and she was reading the scriptures, and when she read this verse, God spoke to her in a very profound way. She was in the valley of decision. (laughs) She was at the crossroads. Which path of treatment would she pursue? What should she do? And she had the opportunity to make the decision. Would she trust God or trust herself or trust someone else? Who is she going to trust? And the path of treatment, to whom would she go for counsel? Would it be possible that God would guide her? And as she placed herself in God's presence and asked God for direction, she found that God was faithful. God was present to meet her. And the greatest healing that she received, of course, and this is the core of all healing, was an intimate relationship with God. You see, at the core of our healing is to know God. Life is found in Him. That experience that Moses had, that Abraham had, that Jesus had with the Father, that is to be our experience. We are to know God, to walk in communion with Him, And we are to walk receiving counsel with him. So as we enter the new season, to whom will we go for counsel? Who will we walk with? May God God grant us a conviction, a hunger, a desire for God. May we desire to be God's friend more than anything else. Amen? Let's stand for prayer.
And uh, I will pray a prayer for us as disciples of Jesus. And then a prayer for some of you who may be like my friend who called me at the beginning of the year and just said, I can't do it on my own anymore. I need to come back to Jesus. And maybe that's where you're at today. And you want to surrender your life to Jesus. So first a prayer for those of us who are following Jesus. Father, if we're here in your presence, it's by your grace. If we are your children, it is by your grace. We don't deserve to be your sons and daughters. And we thank you, Father, that you, out of your immense love, sent your son Jesus to die for us. And that you, Father, have drawn us to yourself by your Spirit. As we have confessed faith in Jesus, we have found true life. Forgive us, Father. Sometimes we stray and we think, okay, we're going to find life somewhere else. We're going to find life in another enterprise or another person. Forgive us because life is found in you and you alone. And Lord, as we enter the new season, I pray, no matter where we find ourselves in life, whether we are teachers or students or business owners or employees, people that have been in Canada for a long time or new immigrants, Lord, may we all place ourselves before you. May our hunger for you grow each day, Lord. And I pray that as we place ourselves in your presence, Lord, and read your word, that we would hear your voice over our lives and that we would obey your word and live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And now a prayer for those of you who may want to surrender your lives to Jesus for the first time. The prayer is going to be on the screen behind me, and I just invite you to follow me as I pray. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to know you. Please forgive me for leading my own life separate from you. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for all my sin. I repent and surrender my whole life to you. I turn to you for forgiveness and new life. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free. Make me into the kind of person you created me to be. I want to be like you. Father, thank you for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to talk to you. We can go to the prayer center, welcome center, come forward. Please don't go home without telling someone. For all of you, have a great Labor Day weekend. God bless you.